Uh, I want to get into our message today, and I want to begin in the same way that I began our series on politics just a few months ago. I've started that series and that sermon by saying every time that no matter who you vote for at New Life or voted for at New, uh, before, vote, no, there's no voting at New Life, but whoever you voted for, uh, you are welcome at New Life. And that we want to come and, and follow uh, in the name of Jesus. We want to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. We want to be curious as to why people vote particular ways. But no matter who you vote for, you're welcome in our congregation. And it's important for me to restate that time and time again. Uh, and it's with that as well that we have to speak truth and be honest about what's happening in our world. Uh, it was a very distressing week for all of us, um, and many of you are still processing what happened this past Wednesday, and, and that's okay. Sometimes you, need, you just need to sit with it and, and process and, and talk to some friends, and so if you're still feeling disoriented about what's happening, if you're still feeling angst in your body, just know that you're not alone, and that as a community, we want to serve one another and pastor one another well as we go through some of the uh, moments, historical moments, uh, that can often produce deep anxiety and fear within us. As a pastor, I find myself in a very challenging position. Uh, in a congregation that's incredibly diverse, there are so many tensions for us to hold. And one of the tensions that I hold as a pastor is the degree to which I speak on what happens in our nation. Uh, as a pastor, uh, nothing is more exciting to me than preaching the gospel and unpacking the scriptures, explaining the scriptures to you all. And in my 12 years at New Life, I've preached roughly 400 sermons in my 12 years at New Life. I did some calculations uh, just yesterday. And I love preaching. I love preparing for sermons. Uh, I usually start my sermon prep 10 days before I have to preach. But in the past few years, I have felt compelled to offer a pastoral word of direction that directly corresponds to what's happening in a given week. And so that means I've had to change my sermon on a Thursday or on a Friday um, I wish some things just happened on Monday. You know, just give me a good idea as to what happens. But sometimes these things happen Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, and I feel compelled to change my sermon. And this is one of those weeks. I had a sermon that I am guessing will probably be preached next week on community life and life together. Uh, but my sermon today has changed because I'm distressed and I'm disheartened. I'm, I'm angry and I'm grieving Grieving that so many in the church have forsaken their baptism, which is what I want to preach on today. I offer this sermon as a word of encouragement, but also as a word of warning. And this message, I know people from all over the country and the world are, will be watching this sermon. And if it applies to your context, feel free to receive it. But this message really primarily is for our New Life Fellowship congregation. When I've been writing this sermon, I didn't realize until I got well into it that the church today remembers and celebrates the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I found that to be providential today because the title of my message is called uh, Not Forsaking Our Baptism. Not Forsaking 
our baptism. Our text is in Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at two verses. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of scripture, the gift of this community, and I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. What happened this past Wednesday was absolutely surreal. Not surprising, really, but absolutely surreal. There's so many angles by which we can comment on the deadly riot and insurrection that we saw on the Capitol. Most blatant, perhaps, to black and brown women and men is the double standard of treatment that we witnessed. If black and brown people were storming the Capitol, scores and scores of them would be arrested and most likely dead as well. We have to reckon with that. But as a pastor, what grieves me most and continues to grieve me is the conflation of Christ with a political party and a personality. Many of the scenes that we witnessed on the Capitol and on social media revealed the forsaking of Christian baptism, which for the church is the fundamental problem we see. Forsaking our baptism in the name of fraud. The theologian Walter Brueggemann wrote some powerful words in one of his books about the crisis in the church. And I want to read these words to you because I think they're appropriate for our time. He said, the crisis with the U.S. church has almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has to do with giving up the faith and discipline of our baptism and settling for a common, generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. The line that stands out to me in this piece here is giving up the faith and discipline of our baptism, and that's what I want to emphasize today. In our text, the Apostle Paul is laying down some theological groundwork and truth that has practical meaning as it pertains to how we relate to God and how we show up in the world. Paul wants to remind the church of their fundamental identity. He wants to remind the church of their fundamental unity. And so he talks about baptism. Baptism is something that comes up over and over in the New Testament. And it signifies many things. For someone to be baptized signifies that they are washed. Washed by the grace and forgiveness of God. For someone to be baptized is to talk about a particular conversion of heart, that we are turning away from the world and we're turning to God. It signifies that there is a transformation that has been taking place deep in your soul. Jewish teachings would state that when a Gentile wanted to convert into being a Jew, they would undergo baptism. 
And the Talmud stated that when the Gentile went under the water, he goes down as a Gentile, but he comes up as a Jew. It's interesting because when Paul talks about baptism in the New Testament, he uses different language. When Paul talks about baptism, he talks about we go down as dead people and we come up as alive to Christ. And it's important to hold on to Paul's understanding of baptism because, because it has everything to do with what we witnessed on Wednesday and everything to do with how we witness to Christ moving forward. When we talk about baptism, there's many different languages, uh, uh, words that we can use, cleansing, conversion, transformation. But there are two words that I want to highlight today. To be baptized really is about being crucified to the world. That there's a crucifixion that we have to the world. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. There is a crucifixion that's taking place when we go down into the waters of baptism. To, say, to be baptized is to say, I do not belong to the world system. I've been crucified to that. I belong to Jesus Christ. Which is why at New Life, when, when someone gets baptized during one of our Sunday services, we ask them two questions. We say, do you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior? And thank God everyone says yes at that moment. So it could be, be, be weird if they said no at that moment. And then the next question is, do you renounce Satan and all of his lies? And it was upon those two confessions that we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because to be crucified is to be, to be baptized is to be crucified to the world. Which is to say, the next part, when Paul talks about baptism, it's not simply about crucifixion to the world. Baptism is also about allegiance to Jesus Christ. That is not just saying no to the world. It's also saying yes, giving our full allegiance to Jesus Christ. Paul says we are baptized into Christ. This is words of union. This is a word of communion. And this is a word of allegiance. Through baptism we say, I no longer belong to the world. I no longer want to remain with the children of darkness. I want to uh, connect myself to the children of light, God's children. I don't want to escape the world, but I want to live in the world without belonging to the world. And this is what baptism signifies. It signifies a declaration of a new allegiance, that my allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. And so we must remember our baptism, brothers and sisters, because on a regular basis there are other forces, there are other people, there are other movements who want to claim our allegiance, the allegiance that belongs solely to Jesus Christ. And so baptism reminds us of this allegiance. And we are to recall this baptism today. Six years ago, when I was battling tuberculosis, I had a monthly checkup on the Upper West Side to see my doctor. And after getting a good report, I was about to head home, but I passed by one of those beautiful churches in Manhattan. And whenever I'm in the city, I, I typically go into one of these churches if the doors are open to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes in prayer. And that day was just the same. I, I walked into a church that was open, sat down for a few minutes, spent time in silence, prayed to the Lord. And then as I was walking out, I passed by this basin of water that is 
common in many uh, liturgical churches, Anglican churches, Catholic churches, etc. And so as I'm walking out, I, I stand by the basin for a moment and I close my eyes and remember the conversation that I had with a Trappist monk some years before. I was asking him some questions about their liturgy and, and the ways that they use ritual and symbol. And I was asking him, why do you uh, uh, take the water and, and, and place it upon your forehead upon entering the church and upon leaving the church? Is this a superstitious thing? Is this a good luck thing? And he said, it's very simple. When someone enters into the sanctuary or leaves the sanctuary out into the world and they dip their finger in the water and places it on their head, it's not about good luck. What they're doing at that time is very simple. The water reminds them of their baptism. And their baptism reminds them that they belong to Jesus. And it was at that point that I dabbed my finger in the water, put the sign of the cross on my forehead, and walked out of, the, of that church building saying to myself, essentially, I belong to Jesus Christ. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so we are to recall our baptism, brothers and sisters, that we belong to Jesus Christ. And it's important that we name that today on this Sunday where we remember the Lord's baptism. Because something is happening in our world. That's been happening, yes, for 2,000 years. But we're seeing with our eyes a sort of intensification. We're in a particular season of distress where things are coming to light that much more. At this point in the sermon, you might be wondering, what does this baptism have to do with this past Wednesday? It has everything to do with this past Wednesday. When I look at many within the church, I'm not seeing this allegiance to Christ being expressed. Rather, I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing people anxiously clinging to a president they believe to be God's choice. I'm seeing people so identified with a personality that they have overlooked facts and truth. I'm seeing people who, contrary to the ruling of courts, have anointed Donald Trump as the rightful winner and leader in this country in the name of Jesus, no less. And it's distressing, to put it mildly, because our allegiance is to Christ. But what some would say to me at this moment is, wake up, Pastor Rich, of course our allegiance is to Christ. To which I would say, not the crucified Christ. I think about something a friend of mine, Carlos Rodriguez, said just a couple of days ago. He mentioned that the problem isn't that Donald Trump thinks of himself as some sort of Messiah. It's that too many Christians want their Messiah to be more like Trump. And I want you to hold on to that for a moment. What does this mean? Well, it often means that many Christians want their Messiah to be strong, to overpower the enemy, to take what they believe is rightfully theirs. This is seeing a Messiah as a warrior. It's often the case that many Christians want their Messiah 
to function in this way. But if you look at the New Testament and look at the life of Jesus, you cannot see this and, 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 and make that correlation. Because when Jesus was about to save the world and rescue the world, he doesn't do it as a warrior God. He doesn't do it by killing his enemies. He does it by dying for his enemies. And it's often the case that Christians think Jesus is too, this Jesus is too weak to follow. And if we believe this Jesus is too weak to follow, you're following a different Jesus. Not the self-giving, humble Savior of the world who overcomes the powers and principalities by self-giving love. And so the problem we have in our day is that too many Christians want their Messiah to look more like Trump. I know what some of you might be saying right now. You're, you're probably saying, but, but what about the other violent protests that happened last year? What about what happened with Black Lives Matter? Why aren't you talking about that? And first I need to say as a pastor that any violence or rioting, no matter where it's coming from, must be rejected, What must be denounced. But here's the difference with what happened on Wednesday as it pertained to what happened last year. There's this president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said it this way just a couple of days ago. He was asking for those who say, but there have been other violent protests this past year. His response is yes, but Wednesday was unlike anything in my lifetime. Why? Place, U.S. Capitol. Instigator. U.S. president. Symbols, crosses, nooses, Confederate flags, Jesus saves signs. Aim, overturn the election. There are many things we've seen over the years. But I want to highlight a few things that I think must be pastorally addressed today. I want to talk about the dangers to our baptism. In this moment, it doesn't seem like what we're experiencing is going to go anywhere anytime soon. That there are threats and dangers to our baptism, and I want to highlight five of them. Five dangers to our baptism that we're called to discern and reject and resist in the name of Jesus. The first danger I see is the danger of conflating party and personality with Christ. To conflate something means to fuse it together in such a way that you cannot delineate one thing from the other, that it's so mixed and fused together that you can't separate them. And this is what we're seeing in our day. It feels obvious, painfully obvious to say this, but it must be said over and over again that Jesus is not a Republican, and Jesus is not a Democrat. And anytime someone says Jesus would vote this way or Jesus is that person, you're missing the Jesus that we find revealed in Scripture. He's above all that. And this is a danger to our baptism because Jesus can be seen simply as an accessory, as a way of very simply confirming what we believe about the way the world should be ordered. And he becomes now something that supports whatever we want to see. And I get it. What often happens is 
when fear and anxiety take over our lives, we end up looking for something or someone who we think can rescue us. We cannot see God with our eyes, which is why the just shall walk by faith. But when you can't see anything, when you can't see God, the anxiety often overtakes us and we need something. We need a person. We need a drug. We need something to soothe us. We need something to keep us safe. And what begins to happen is when anxiety overtakes us and fear overtakes us and hatred overtakes us, we're looking now for someone who will rescue us. And what ends up happening is this conflation of party and personality with Jesus. And this is dangerous because all kinds of religious symbols are used to justify this. There's one image on, on Wednesday that I want to highlight for us. There was a few people who were carrying this Jesus saves cross. Some of you saw another sign of someone holding on to Jesus saves. Or, and, and as they're storming the Capitol, like Jesus was joining them. And when people saw Jesus saved, they're thinking, especially Christians, these are not atheists. These are people who bear the name of Jesus. Their righteous anger must be justified. But I want you to hold on to something that I'm going to say. Just because someone identifies with the name of Jesus doesn't mean Jesus identifies with them. Just, be some, just because someone carries the name of Jesus doesn't mean Jesus identifies with them. We see this very clearly in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells his disciples, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so my first word of warning is to resist fusing Jesus with your politics. But there's another warning. A warning for our congregation and any other Christian who's watching this. The other warning has to do in danger to our baptism with conspiracy theories. And so we have conflating of party and personality with Christ, and the second danger to our baptism are conspiracy theories. I'm increasingly distressed by the conspiracy theories that many Christians are holding on to and continually support. I'm aware of some within our congregation who hold to various kinds of conspiracies. And whether the conspiracies are related to COVID-19, that COVID-19 is part of a larger plan to come against the church and come against religion, or whether it is the conspiracy theories that's fueled by QAnon, which believes that there's a group of people in Washington, D.C. who are Satan-worshipping pedophiles who are plotting against Donald Trump. These conspiracy theories do great danger to our souls and danger to our communities. And this is what I know to be true. For some people who have adopted conspiracy theories of any kind, there's often very little we can do to help them see things differently. And this grieves me deeply. It's often the case that no amount of truth, no amount of facts can persuade them otherwise. And I state this as one of the dangers to our baptism. Because of the way conspiracy theories have us live from a place of paranoia and fear. 
These political conspiracy theories lead to people putting their trust and their hope in a strong, persuasive leader that they believe to be the chosen one. And these conspiracy theories subject anyone who disagrees to them with them in demonizing ways. And so this is a sociological, a psychological, a spiritual danger that is before us. And I don't know exactly how we're going to resist it, but we must name it at least and be vigilant. Whether it's QAnon or other conspiracy groups, we must be vigilant. And New Life Fellowship, I, I, I plead with you, especially on social media, when you see people putting out conspiracy theories, I would pastorally encourage you not to engage on social media in terms of trying to refute people or get in arguments with them. I'd rather you go pick up the phone, go on Zoom, have a conversation. Because what it's doing is actually creating more disunity within our congregation. But let's name the danger of conspiracy theories in our midst and in our country. By God's grace, let us speak the, the truth in grace and in love. By God's grace, let us be open to what's happening in our world. By God's grace, may we live for truth and love. But this is a danger to our baptism. But there's another one. Another danger that I give this pastoral, pastoral warning to you about. And it's a danger of charismatic prophecies. Charismatic prophecies. The reason why some of these charismatic prophecies are so dangerous to our baptism is because so many of these so-called prophecies are usually connected to the unflinching support of the candidate that they support. And so I plead with you to discern, to test the spirits, to reject the so-called prophets in the church who are placing their hope and ultimate hope in a political figure. There are people who will say, well, I had a dream. I had a revelation. I had a vision. And listen, I come from a Pentecostal charismatic tradition. I believe God speaks to us in dreams. I believe God speaks to us in visions. I believe God speaks to us in many powerful ways. But those dreams and visions, when they come from God, ultimately lead us to trusting in Jesus. Not trusting in some kind of leader to secure our future. And this might be one of the most dangerous of the five I'm listing. Because it's often the case that these charismatic prophecies use the name of God. And if someone says, God told me, how can you argue with that? How can you have dialogue with someone who says, God told me? And so discern. Test the spirits. And this is, what often happens is these prophecies are actually dangerous because they're violating the third commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. You see, taking the Lord's name in vain is not simply about cursing and adding the word God to it. To take the Lord's name in vain is to use God's name for the sake of power, for the sake of control, for the sake of authority 
And this is the more insidious and dangerous ways of taking the Lord's name in vain. And so test the spirits. For these prophets who have predicted that Donald Trump is going to win the presidency and all that, a true test of a prophet is someone who, when they get it wrong, they're able to confess and say, I was wrong. Forgive me. I made a mistake. I did not hear God right. And so if you're following people who are getting dreams and revelations from God and they're wrong, what they'll probably say is, well, there's fraud or you didn't try hard enough or you're not believing enough. Later for all of that, you know someone is a man or woman of God when when they get it wrong, they say, I was wrong. I repent. Forgive me. And so let's discern and test the spirits. The fourth danger I see is the danger of cable news discipleship. Cable news discipleship. I read something this week that said the average Christian spends an hour or two a week under the teaching of their local church, but as many as 13 hours a day consuming other forms of media, whether it's listening to podcasts, scrolling through Twitter, watching cable news. And this is dangerous to our baptism because we are constantly being fed content made to produce in us anxiety, to produce in us hatred for people who are on the other side, or to buy a product. And so we are sitting under the teaching of cable news discipleship. No wonder we forsake our baptism and the way of Jesus. I used to joke that when I became a Christian, I was in church all the time. I was at the men's meeting, the women's meeting, the youth meeting, the seniors meeting, the prayer meeting, the house meeting. I mean, five to six days a week in my small Latino Pentecostal church, I was in church every single day, being formed in the way of Jesus, being formed in prayer, being formed in love. And I'm not saying we're going to have church uh, five to six days a week here, but what I'm getting at is this. If our diet of formation is exclusively around cable news discipleship, we will find ourselves not living in the way of Jesus. And so by God's grace, may we put boundaries around our engagement with the news. Read the paper, watch the news, but boundary it. Recognize the ways that It tends to usurp the way of Jesus in us. Take note when you're watching and the anger and the rage that comes inside of you. And may these be opportunities to turn to Christ and turn to one another. But we have to be mindful of this cable news discipleship. I recognize I'm preaching for 30 minutes. But if you're watching people on uh, Fox News or CNN or whatever it is for hours on end, whatever teaching we're getting on Sunday, it pales in comparison. And so in the name of Jesus, let us reject this cable news discipleship and find ourselves submitted to the way of Jesus. The Bible is to be the primary source where we work out our salvation. Our talking points are to be shaped by the word of God in the context of a discerning community. How we work through difficult issues is to be shaped by the teachings of the apostles. How we process difficult uh, emotions is to be informed by the Psalms of David. 
How we navigate difficult decisions that we have to make is to be shaped by the wisdom of Solomon. How we work through matters of injustice is to be informed by the Old Testament prophets. How we think about our neighbor is to be shaped by the way of Jesus. Do you hear me? We are to be shaped by the scriptures in the context of discerning community. And so we must resist this cable news discipleship. And finally, we are called to resist this corrosive racism. To say that racism is corrosive is, of course, a redundancy. But this is what racism does. It destroys. It eats away at our souls, our bodies, our families, our communities, our nation. You can't look at what happened on Wednesday without seeing the larger reality of racism. The Confederate flag is one of the most blatant symbols of racism, and that's a historical truth. And we must reject racism and Christian nationalism and white supremacy in the name of Jesus because all these things are incompatible with the gospel and incompatible with our baptism. As a congregation, we are to be rooted in Christ, led by the scriptures, shaped by love, passionate about justice, humble in our interactions. And we must continue this path in the power of the Spirit. I want to end with this. I mentioned that the church today remembers the baptism of Jesus Christ on this Sunday. And it's important to see what happens afterwards. Immediately after Jesus is baptized, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. And what does the evil one do? Something very simple. The evil one wants Jesus to renounce his baptism. And the evil one promises power. Says, turn this bread into this stone into bread. Jump from the temple and angels will, will catch you. Bow at me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, don't live from the center of God's call and love and salvation. Live from the center of worldly power. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not going to forfeit my baptism in the name of worldly power. And so what does it mean to claim our baptism? Minimally, to claim it requires us to remain in the Father's love. How do you know? There's so many different sides right now of saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And these are happening between Christians. I'm hearing God, you're not hearing God. I'm right, you're wrong. How do you know who's right? How do you know who's being faithful to God? And without oversimplifying it, I do think the answer is simple and incredibly difficult to live. But the answer is simple. How do we know who's being faithful to God? Well, the, the person who's marked by cruciform love. The love that looks like Jesus. The love that's manifested in compassion, truth-telling, justice, mercy, forgiveness. To the extent that our lives are manifesting that kind of love, those are the people who are being faithful to Jesus. 
And it requires us to remain in the Father's love in order to do that. This is an opportunity for us to be praying and listening to God, allowing his love, which is not sentimentalism. It's strong. But it's based on the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. And how do we claim it? We resist idolatry. Some of you say, I, I don't even have figurines in my house. Rich, what are you talking about resisting idolatry? I don't have any kind of idols in my house. But there are other idols, idols of the heart. A friend of mine, Glenn Packiam, said this past week here, how do you spot an idol? And I think his way of describing an idol is really helpful for us. An idol is something I'm ultimately counting on to bring me security or safety, comfort or peace, value or worth, prosperity or immortality, but cannot deliver on that promise. And the invitation for us is to resist the idolatry that often corrodes our souls. It's quite remarkable that the insurrection we saw on Wednesday took place on the day of Epiphany. Epiphany is a day of revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Magi. But it's also within that story, another revelation is given. A subsequent revelation to the Magi, not to return to Herod, and his power-hungry ways. At the end of the portion of Scripture, it says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And we are called today to return home by another route. And that route is ultimately found in giving our total allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's the route. And so what I want to do is Take a deep breath in and out. Or at least I need that today. I want to give us a moment of reflection. If we can put up just those five dangers again on the screen that are before us. I wonder today, where is the Lord calling you to resist? What is the Lord calling you to say no to, to repent from? I want to give you a minute. If you want to write it some notes, if you just want to sit and offer your heart before the Lord, and then I'll close us in prayer. Take one minute. Lord, we are once again in a moment of history where 
the church is called to deeper and greater faithfulness to Jesus. Lord, would you give us discernment, help us to test the spirits, help us to live in the way of love and mercy and compassion and justice. Help us to pray for our enemies. Help us to live in the way of cruciform love. And so we need your Holy Spirit to do that. Make us people of peace, people who work for shalom, people who are working for your righteousness, seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. And so lead us this day. Teach us to be merciful with our neighbors, curiously compassionate with those who disagree with us. Teach us to speak truth boldly when the time calls for that. Teach us to lament and carry our grief to you. Teach us in the way of David, in the way of Solomon, in the way of the prophets, but ultimately in the way of Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close our service, before I offer a closing benediction, this is actually a great opportunity, as Pastor Peter mentioned earlier today, to let you know that we have a baptism class coming up. And if you've never been baptized, you're essentially saying, I'm tired of belonging to the world. I'm tired of belonging to the world and its violence, the world and its greed, the world and its consumer... Those things cannot satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. I want to belong to Jesus. I want to receive eternal life, salvation, forgiveness of sins. That's what baptism essentially is. And if you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to say yes to that. It's a public expression of faith and allegiance to Jesus. And so uh, on Wednesday, January 13th, uh, this coming Wednesday, We'll have a class. You can register for that online. Uh, if you've said yes to Jesus and you want to get baptized, we'd love to uh, teach you uh, on Wednesday. Additionally, for those of you who want prayer at the end of this service here, maybe you're feeling deep grief and you just need to talk to someone, we have our prayer ministry, our virtual lobby there. So feel free to go on newlife.nyc and the link should be there on the Facebook and YouTube uh, thread as well. But we love to pray for you. This is a difficult moment for our country and for the church. And we need to support each other on the journey. And of course, if you're listening to this and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, and you're saying, I I do want to make a decision, or minimally, I want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, very simply, you can text yes to Jesus to that number. And we'll keep it on the screen for a moment. And one of our pastors will follow up with you and would love to get you started on what it means to follow Jesus, to receive his eternal life, his joy, his abundance, his peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. And so feel free to reach out to us and help, let us help you on your journey. 
As we close, I want to invite you, wherever you're at, to open your hands towards heaven. Let me offer a blessing to you. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving your total allegiance to Jesus Christ and the way of his kingdom. I bless you all today and the strong and the beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.